Our lesson this morning is looking at false gods. We're not going to be looking at all of them, obviously, as we'll be looking at uh, first the Astaroth and, and looking at some background information about this false god. If you were to look at the various listing of, of a listing of the false gods in the Old Testament, there are a lot of them. There are some we even find as well in the New Testament as well. They're listed there. If you remember when the Apostle Paul, that famous statement, he says, the false, the God which you do not know, I'll proclaim to you there are Mars Hills after he went around and saw all the idols and images they had to their false gods. He basically tells them, you forgot to include the one true God. I'm paraphrasing. That's what his message became. And Ashtaroth, some believe, was one of those false gods that was included there when Paul is speaking to them. But Ashtaroth is the first one we're going to look at today. This won't be a, a, a series of lessons we're going to look at every single Sunday, but we are going to look at several of them uh, moving forward. And I want to show what we can learn from those who made the mistake about following this false god. And whenever we refer to Astroth as a god, we're talking about little g, a false god. Because unless you're talking about the god of the Bible, then it's always lowercase because there's only <laughs> one true god. So let's begin by looking at some background information about Astaroth. And I tell you, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. Uh, some that seems pretty correct. Some you think, and they'll immediately tell you, this is, they'll find phrases such as, this could have been the case. And I've omitted all those things. Uh, unless there is something that shows it is, this is actually the, the case, I don't include those things when I give lessons because uh, that's not what we're concerned about. But who is this God? She is the principal female deity of the Phoenicians in worship as the god of war and fertility. Now, we're going to come back later and focus on the aspect of her being the, quote, god of war and fertility. An interesting combination there for her to be this god of. And one individual said that according to history, that when this God began, she actually went down into the realm of death. I don't remember the phrase they used, the term they used for their realm of death, and brought out a loved one of hers, and that's how she became the goddess of war. And it goes on and on from there. A lot of interesting things that sound like something from Hollywood. But uh, she is the principal female deity of the Phoenicians, worshipped as a god of war and uh, fertility. She's sometimes also referred to as a moon goddess of the Phoenicians, representing the passive principle of nature. Their principal female deity, frequently associated with the name of Baal, the sun god, their chief male uh, deity. Now, she is, if you were to search and look up uh, Ashtaroth, you'll find her mentioned several times, specifically in Judges and in in First Samuel, as well as we're going to be looking at later today. And we want to notice, we see who she is characterized as, right? And one of the big questions I always wonder is, what did her followers do? Those who claim to be followers of this false god, what did they do? Well, that's our very next point here. Part of their ritual was women were obliged to sacrifice either their hair or their chastity. That's an interesting choice, isn't it? Meaning that 
and, and one person would actually go on and say that their heathen worship, uh, their heathen worship was the Israelites often adopting the bald, horrible, uh, degenerate practices, and that's just put it very mildly. Uh, he would actually go on and say that at least once in their life, those who follow after this false god, the females would have to offer themselves in a sexual manner to this false god. And we'll just leave it there. At least once. You already see how quickly, how evil and how dark it is to be a follower of such a god. You know, the god of the Bible has victory from God's victory for mankind in so many different ways, but does so without being the God of war, right? He provides blessings for man without being the quote-unquote God of fertility. He provides numerous things for mankind without the many things of mankind that are wicked, that are abominable, things that are immoral. God requires us to do things which are evil in order to be followers of him. But here with the Ashtaroth, that's something we find very, very quickly. And no doubt, again, she was, uh, again, pictured as the, as the goddess of war, which we'll talk about uh, here in just a moment. Uh, a shrine of this goddess was found in the city of Ashkelon in uh, Felicia. This is according to uh, Herodias. Uh, there, again, some, some history. And if you to look up, now, I was going to include a picture of this image, but there's a lot of different ones out there, and some just were not appropriate to put on the screen. Uh, but it, there's a lot of images of her out there. Like a lot of foreign gods, they will have a lot of Im different images of the same god, which kind of me begs the question, well, how can you worship the quote-unquote same god when you create her in the first place and she always looks completely different? Well, let's let's... That is the basis for Astaroth here. That's her background. She, she is the, the goddess of wars, so they say. She's the goddess of fertility. Uh, a lot of her uh, worshipers uh, were involved in terrible uh, practices, only sexual things. Some even include the idea that perhaps, again, perhaps they were to offer up uh, their children to this goddess as well. That it was one that is a bona fide fact for Molech, but that doesn't seem to be a, at least not in my mind, something that is guaranteed as being the case with, with Astaroth. And so we, this, this is who she is. This is what her followers did. When we think about this false god, we have to realize that the followers of, of Astaroth were those who were involved in sin. You follow a false god without committing sin. You think about going back to the time of giving of the Ten Commandments when Moses was on the mountain. We've talked about this before. And how the people came to Aaron complaining and whining. And so he made them a golden calf, even though he would argue that point later. He made that for them. <clears throat> what did they do by making that golden calf and worshiping and offering things to it? Well, they sinned against God. See, it's an impossibility to be involved in a worship of a false god or of an idol without sinning against God. Now, when we think about false gods or think about idol worship, we think about things like the Ashtaroth so many times. But we have to realize that idols come in various different forms. You've heard me talk about this before as well. But the people would always sin so long as they followed Ashtaroth. Immoral acts and wickedness were always involved in false worship and worship of false gods. 
The worship of this false god drove the people deeper into sin. Because when you're following after a false god, until you come out, you're only going deeper into the hole of sin. <clears throat> worship of a false god only cause man to dig deeper into wickedness. And now we think about, <coughs> excuse me, we think about this idea of this following this God, <coughs> excuse me, and those who were involved in it. Not only were they going deeper, deeper into sin, but they also would lead, would lead others away into idolatry as well. If you go and look at, as we will hear in a moment, in First Kings chapter eleven, we find that who is held as one of the most wise men on the earth, Solomon, was also led away into idolatry. When Solomon, came, when Solomon became older, his wives turned his heart away from God and toward the various heathen gods, plural, and goddesses, again, plural, including Ashtaroth. We look at 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says, for, for it was so when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Notice their little G. Not the one true God, but after false gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God. That is the problem right there, isn't it? You cannot go after false gods and still have a loyal heart for God. You know, Christ tells us the same thing there in the New Testament. He says you cannot love the, love the world and, and love him. He says you cannot serve serve. serve uh, God and mammon, which means you cannot serve God in the world. And we find that same idea here in verse 4 of 1 Kings chapter 11. His heart was not loyal to, to, God, to his God, uh, to the Lord his God, as it was the heart of his father David. For Solomon, after the Ashtaroth, after Ashtaroth the goddess of the uh, Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, Solomon did evil inside the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father, David. <clears throat> now you think about that for a second. Think about that phrase. He did not fully follow the Lord. Does that mean there are some aspects in Solomon's life that he actually, maybe when he came to God, he actually kept? It appears that may have been the case, but he was not fully following God. But does that mean God was okay with that? Was God okay with a partial effort? Because that's what we find there. He doesn't say he partially followed me and I, you know, he was blessed because of it. No, he says he did not fully follow God. He's spoken of in a way that he's being condemned for it. He did not fully follow the Lord as did his father, David. Notice verse 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Again, what did they do as part of the worship to Molech? They sacrificed their children to it. And Solomon was involved in that, involved in building these things for, for these false gods. Look at verse 8. He did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Bible here makes it clear he did these things because his wives, plural, led him away. Can people today, can our family or some of our friends, maybe our co-workers, lead us away into things that we have no business being involved in? Solomon had no business building temples for false gods, did he? No, instead he should have done what? He should have took care of those foreign wives and never married them in the first place. That's what the Bible tells us. 
And those ideas of foreign gods coming in, he should have nixed them before they ever came in. But he didn't. He faltered there in verse 8. He burned instead, he burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned for the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. That tells you how enticing it was to follow after a false god. He has seen God or appeared to him, not me, he saw him literally, but he spoke to God twice. Twice. And he still turned after false gods. And had commanded him, verse 10, concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Again, sin. We find very clearly in this text, verses 4 through 10, was involved with following after false gods, sin after sin after sin. As we said a moment ago, when you're following after idolatry and following after false gods, you start digging a hole. Look how fast you back up a second here, going back to verse 4. Saul begins to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. He began to build temples, didn't he? Verse 5 says he went after their, their goddesses and went after their, their, the gods of the, of, uh, the Ammonites. He did not fully follow the Lord. Verse 7, he began to build temples for them. His, the hole is just getting deeper for Solomon. Deeper and deeper to sin. Verse 8, he, offered, he burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Deeper into sin. He, what happened verse 10? His heart turned away from the Lord God of Israel. He had appeared to him twice. Deeper into sin. He was only going further and further away from God. Now we think about this today. We rarely, at least me, see someone who has a quote-unquote idol on a shelf. And I don't know some people over the years maybe bought things that they didn't realize was an idol for some foreign country. They bought it for a decorative reason. It means nothing to them other than it's an interesting piece. That's not what we're talking about. Because sometimes friends or idols, as I mentioned before, will come in all types of shapes and all types of forms. They become, can come in the shape of materialistic type things. They become in the shape of people who we hold up way too high in esteem. I know individuals who have a certain belief until someone else disagrees with them, and then all of a sudden they change, and they do it constantly. But who are we following? It's either the Bible or it's not. It's through God or it's not. If you look at there at verse 10 again, First uh, Kings chapter 11. He had commanded him concerning this thing, that is, God had told him not to do these things, right? That he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. He was disobeying God and doing so in a deliberate way. Some lessons for us today, and we're not, this is not, we're not done yet. This is probably going to be our longest part here as we think about this false, these false gods. Worshiping anyone but the God of the Bible is sin. There's no other way around it. And sometimes we would not worship something as we would as we would traditionally think. But sometimes, friends, we can hold things way too high in our, in our list of aspirations and those that we look up to. We, we almost put the person as if they are God when they speak. I've heard a lot of people do that for individuals who probably don't even know that's what someone is doing to them. 
someone hears a, a gospel sermon who is perfectly fine, but because of who it is, no matter, no matter what they may say later, they're going to follow them all the way. The difference between encouraging and, and being uh, enjoying someone's sound lessons, but friends, doesn't matter who it is or how long they've been preaching or teaching, when someone deviates from the truth, then they have deviated from the truth, no matter who it may be. We cannot uphold those people as if they can do no wrong, but sometimes it is the case. You look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, looking at verse 10. He says, Then they cried out to the Lord. This, this is reference to those who are following after Ashtaroth. We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth. What are they doing? They're acknowledging what they have done is sin. They acknowledge they have transgressed against God and what they have done has separated them from God. God condemned and punished those who went after false gods. And God reminds man in Jeremiah 10 of the truth concerning idols, false gods, and the one true God. We look at Jeremiah 10, and there's, if I'm honest, there's parts of this that's almost humorous, but God is, is making the point very, very clearly. Here, here in Jeremiah 10, beginning in verse 1, he says, Hear the word of the Lord which, which speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the sides of heavens, of the heaven, for, they, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. And basically he's talking about is there are those who looked at to the sky and they see all kinds of things, at least in their mind, and they try to apply it in some quote-unquote spiritual manner. You ever talk to someone who says they don't go to, they don't worship anywhere, but they are a spiritual person? That's really what we're talking about here in verse two. They're a spiritual person. In verse two, he says here, "Do not learn the way of the Gentiles; do not be dismayed at the signs of, of heaven. The Gentiles are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold." They fasten it with nails and hammers so they will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. You realize God basically just slammed these false ideas of Isaac. I mean, there's no basically he did, right? He talks about how they cut down a tree and how they carve it out, how they adorn it, and they make it just right so it doesn't topple over because it can't even balance itself this false God which they have created. He says it's upright like a palm tree, which means it stands up rigid. If it stands up rigid, it means it can't even move. That's what he goes on to say, right? He says, and they cannot speak. They must be carried. They cannot speak. They cannot, they cannot move. But they, because they cannot go by themselves, do not be afraid of them, but they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good, which means they can't do absolutely nothing. He's saying they're decorated firewood is what it is. <clears throat> decorated firewood. But that, he doesn't stop there. Continue reading here in verse 6. Inasmuch as there is none like you. Now this is Jeremiah speaking the Lord, the word of the Lord. But we find in verse 6, notice what Jeremiah begins to say. And as much as there is none like you, O Lord, you are you are great, and your name is great in, in might. Who would not fear you? Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like you, 
but they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. A worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarsus and gold from, from uh, Uphaz. The work of the craftsmen in the hands of the uh, metalsmith, blue and purple are their clothing. They're all the work of skillful men. They are a work, which means they had to be created. And next he says they are the work of skillful men. So they are created by man so that man can worship that. That image, that idol. Look at verse 10 and following. But the Lord is the true God. Notice singular capitalized, indicating, reminding us who we're talking about. He is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. He is true. He is living. He is everlasting. Would a wooden idol eventually rot? Yeah. It's going to eventually start to decay. The metal, the bronze, all those things eventually start to deteriorate, start to have things on there that's going to tarnish, it's going to begin to decay. If you're familiar with what happens with metal outside in the weather, we know it deteriorates pretty quickly in reality. But here he's speaking of God. He talks about how he's the true God. He's a living God. He's ever, the everlasting king, which tells us he is true, which means there is no one else. Everyone else is false. He is living. If he's living, it tells us he's not going to, what? He's not going to deteriorate like metal. Because next we find he is also everlasting, which means he endures for all time. At his wrath, he says, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Again, an action which these false gods, these created idols, cannot do. They can't make anything tremble. They're trying to just stay upright and not topple over, right? Look at verse 11. Thus he shall say to them, The gods that have, have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. He, he references there God's what? His wisdom showing the mental part of God, the power of God. And then his discretion means his decision-making ability, right? All things which are way beyond any inanimate object that cannot do anything. Verse 13. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out, out of his treasures. Everyone is dull, everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for he for he for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are a futile, they are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. There is none of us there. They are futile, a work of errors. I think that's a great way to classify idols. It's a work of errors, it's a work of mistakes. It's a work of falsehoods. That's what he's talking about. The portion of Jacob is not like them. That is, that's a reference to those who are faithful to God. For he is the maker of all things. And Israel is a tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts 
is his name. In Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16, God is clearly identified as the one true God. Well, the false gods, he created gods and idols. They're shown to be exactly what they are. Nothing. Remember he says they cannot move. They cannot speak. They have to be carried. They may even topple over. And they are created by man out of a tree. But the one true God, he lists all the reasons why he is the one true God. But we're not done yet. The God of the Bible is man's only source of salvation. The God of the Bible is the man's only source for salvation. We understand in a spiritual way, but here in 1 Samuel 7, which we're going to go back to here in a moment, he is man's only hope for salvation physically as well. Man who aligns himself with idols is, will only know defeat. But remember, Ashtoreth is supposed to be the god of goddess of war and fertility. You think the goddess of war is supposed to need help to conquer the Philistines? Well, according to 1 Samuel 7, she cannot do it. Because as we know from Jeremiah 10, she's nothing. She is literally nothing. She is a sign, this goddess is a sign, the gender of she by its creators. You go back here, 1 Samuel 7, beginning of verse 1. He talks about there, verse 1, when the ark is going to remain. Verse 2, it was there for 20 years. Let's pick up in verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts and put away the foreign gods and the astros from among you, they prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. When did victory come in verse 3? When they put away those false gods who could not bring them safety. Do you remember back on Wednesday night? We talked about this before, but back on Wednesday night, we talked about how the psalmist talks about how he mentions being able to lay down and, and rest and sleep because the Lord was where he put his trust. And that's what the Lord is telling these individuals here in 1 Samuel. Come back and put your trust in me, your obedient faith in me, and you will know victory. Look at verse 4. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And, the, and Samuel said, Gather all the children, children to Mizpah, and I'll pray to the Lord for you. They put them away first in verse 4. Then Samuel prayed for them next there in verse 5. Now you look at verse 6. He says here, So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. They're still afraid, right? They're human beings. They always... Mankind has always grasped the obvious that when God is with you, anything is possible. Look at verse 8. So the children of Israel said, Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now, wait a second. I thought it was supposed to be the Asteros. She was a goddess of war. But no, there was no victory by falling after that false god. They come back to God because they know they will be crushed without him. Looking at verse 9. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. 
Then Samuel cried out to the Lord, uh, to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was, was offered up, uh, now, now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them they were overcome before Israel. He confused them with thunder. Thunder. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a big fan of loud thunderclaps from storms, especially in the evening. I'll be the first one you might hear jump. I'm not afraid of dying. It's just going to startle me. But here you look here with the, the remember, the Philistines, these are, this is supposed to be an army of grown adults going against Israel. But they had failed to realize one key thing with Israel. They were now with God. They're no longer following after these false gods, the asterisks or, or, or the Baals. They were confused as the Philistines there in verse 10. And they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, and drove them back as far as Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its place Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. We sing that song sometimes about that phrase, my Ebenezer, which means a stone of help. This is where that comes from. The stone of help that places help, it was God who brought the help. So the Philistines, verse 13, were subdued. They did not come anymore to, 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 to the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. What brought them victory? Leaving behind the false gods, leaving behind the idols, leaving behind the bells, and going back to the one true God who lives, who breathes, who moves, who acts and protects those who are faithful to him and those who repent and return to him. Now we know Israel, this wouldn't be the first or last time that they would depart from God in unfaithfulness. But whenever they came back, they always found the blessings of God. In 1 Samuel 7, it was victory of the Philistines where God literally thunders out against them. When you were a child, did your father ever speak so loud sometimes that it scared you? A shout across the house. And maybe it didn't sound like thunder, but it's a noise that startled you. That's what I think of here with God on behalf of Israel. His shout, though, came across as thunder and, and frightens the Philistines to the degree that they are overcome by Israel. Which this text reminds us, as we have seen already throughout this lesson, that false gods give no hope to man. They have nothing to offer. False gods provide no true hope. Mankind sometimes will pray to idols, because mankind can be a very emotional being, we think we find comfort. Many times it's very, very short-lived and it's only in our mind. True comfort comes from God, doesn't it? Wasn't Christ who tells us there in the book of Matthew to come unto him, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Christ literally tells us to come to him. An idol has never told mankind a single thing. Think about that for a second. An idol has never uttered a single word. A false god 
unless mankind sets himself, sets himself up as a god. If you remember, actually, there in the book of Revelation, we get to the point where the Caesars begin to view themselves as God and one of the people that worship them. But these idols and such did not speak. They could find no comfort. But the one true God does. While false gods and idols come in many forms, none of them benefit man in any way. A false god can have many shapes, but the result is the same. Absolutely nothing. Nothing comes from it. You think about for a second, if you were to step out into a car, and you go to start it up, and it doesn't do anything. doesn't click, doesn't try to turn over, doesn't do anything. And you get outside and you wash that car, you clean that car, you clean it inside and outside, you put all these nice little things on it, you step back inside, you turn the key and it doesn't do anything. And finally, as last resort, you pop the hood and realize there is no engine in that vehicle. That's like an idol. You can decorate it look nice on the outside, but inside there's nothing there. It offers nothing. It will take you nowhere. But with God, he will take us somewhere. We are loyal to him. The Bible tells us that when Christ returns on the judgment day, that he takes the faithful with him. Friends, let's make sure when we think about our own lives, we don't allow ourselves to follow after the various forms of idols we find in our lives today or found in this world around us today. Let's remember to remain loyal to the one true God who can actually take us places. He can actually take us to heaven. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage in any way. You can come forward now. Can we stand and sing the song that's been selected? <laughs>